So it's been, uh, it has been a bit of a crazy year so far, hasn't it? I don't know if anybody remembers, when we started out the year, at the beginning of 2020, we had a series and an emphasis called What If? You know, last year as we were just kind of praying through what should we focus on this year? Is there a certain theme we can go with? This theme of what if is what kept kind of rising to the surface. And we started asking the questions. Now, what if we went all in? What if everybody found their place of service? What if uh, people began to give more generously? You know, what if people began to connect on deeper levels? And just kind of dream about what, what could happen if we, as God's people, really took some steps forward. And so we got really excited about that and shared some things to start out the year and kind of kick us off. Well, the question we did not ask is, what if a worldwide pandemic strikes? You know, what if we experience incredible racial tensions? What if there are all kinds of issues in our culture and that, that really create problems and division? You know, those weren't the questions we were asking. But it was really interesting to me to go back and, and look over everything um, and to come back to it again because here's how I want us to look at this where over the next few weeks we're going to jump back into that idea of what if but with some perspective knowing what we know and having been through what we've been through this year what if knowing all of that the same thing is still true that God still wants to do something from it well, guys what if we really believed the scripture when it says that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. What if we really believe that? And because of that, what if we believe that even in the midst of what we're going through right now, that God is doing something special. God wants to do something unique in our lives. What if we, what if we really believed it? And I'm excited to jump into that. I'm excited to look at some things that uh, could grow out of our experience over the last several months, some things that have maybe been forced up to the surface that maybe we weren't thinking about quite as much before. But one of the things that could come out of this is it's forced us to reevaluate some of our priorities and it's forced us to deal maybe with some things that we need to deal with. And so I'm excited to jump into that. Uh, but, but it doesn't take away the fact that 2020 has been a hard year. It's been a hard year for a lot of people. It's been a hard year for us personally. Uh, those of you that know a little bit of our story, our youngest is going through cancer treatment. And so 2020, when the year rolled around, we're about six months into that and still trying to figure it out. And so this year so far has held a, a surgery that was supposed to bring pain relief that was unsuccessful, a four-day stay in the hospital, and other, other trips to the ER, trying to figure things out. Um, on top of that, a, uh, she graduated this year, so what was supposed to be you know, a big deal of graduation and family and gatherings and all that looked a little bit different. I mean, it's, it's just been a weird and a difficult year for us. And it has been, I would say, to a certain degree for everybody in this room. It's been tough for you in different aspects and I know different things about different people some it's health related issues you know some it's fear some it's uh, dealing with depression as a result of some of the isolation for some it is losing a loved one and uh, we have people in our church that have lost loved ones and especially during the, the the time when nobody was really able to do anything and so they weren't really able to to gather together and to have memorial services and those kinds of things. We have uh, uh, people in our church family that have loved ones that are in nursing homes 
that are isolated and they can't go visit them. I mean, just, you know, heart-wrenching kinds of things that everybody, here's the point, everybody's dealing with something this year. This, this year so far has been about as pleasant as stumbling across a den of skunks. And by the way, if you want to know how pleasant that is, ask Stephen Pollard about it sometime because they actually got under our temporary buildings that used to be out there. And that was, anyway, he was new on staff and somehow volunteered to go check it out, I think. But you know, ask, ask him about that later. It wasn't as bad as it could have been, but uh, not a pleasant thing, right? When something just stinks, you don't want to sit there in the middle of it for an extended period of time. And I think that's how some of us feel right now. It's like, man, this really stinks. I'd rather move on. I'd rather not just sit here in the middle of it. But, but I believe God's doing something. I believe God wants to do something. And, uh, and so we need to look at it from that perspective and say, okay, Lord, as unpleasant as this may be, as much as it may stink right now, I believe that you got something you want to do. And, and I don't want to miss that. And what I want for you as our church families, I don't want you to miss that either. I want you to, to experience what God wants to do in you and, and through you during this time. So what if we see a dramatic movement of God that comes out of some of the difficulty that, that we are experiencing these days? I want us to jump in today to the book of Isaiah we're going to be in Isaiah 43 today, and I want to share a passage of Scripture that I just, as I was thinking about um, this theme and where we're going, this is the, the passage that kept coming to mind. I want to start in verse 14, where it says, This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. For your sake I will send to Babylon and bring down as fugitives all the Babylonians in the ships in which they took pride. I am the Lord, your Holy One, Israel's Creator, your King. This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Listen to this one. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. You know, in this chapter, or in this section of this chapter, God is speaking about uh, sending to the Babylonians and bringing them as fugitives in the ships in which they took pride. This is a reference to God delivering his people from Babylonian captivity. Now, if you do a little bit of, of, of study on this passage and you read different commentators, you'll find that people have different opinions about exactly what's going on here because here's the challenge that we have to sort through. The Israel, the, 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 uh, actually the southern kind of Judah, was taken into captive in Babylon starting in 605 B.C. Uh, it, it finally was, was fully completed by about 586. That's when the temple was destroyed and, and, and the people were carried off into captivity. So that's from 586 until, um, I believe it was, 537, if I remember right, or 539, I'll find it here in the notes in a minute. Um, but somewhere in that range is when Cyrus, the king of Persia, delivers the, the people out of bondage in Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq. So in the, the 500s, Isaiah's ministry uh, he, it took place a long time before that. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 6, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. The year that King Uzziah died was 740 B.C. So you've got 150-ish years 
from the time that Isaiah's ministry starts to the time that the people begin being deported to Babylon. You've got nearly 200 years until the time that they would actually be released from captivity. So the question becomes, okay, who wrote this? And some would argue that Isaiah did not write this, that Isaiah wrote the first 39 chapters of this book and that others wrote additional chapters and they got merged together as one book. One of the, the, the challenges to that is uh, in the 2nd century B.C., there were, there were scrolls, of the, if you're familiar with the Dead Sea Scrolls, there were scrolls of the book of Isaiah that date back to 2nd century B.C. That There doesn't seem to be any break between chapter 39 and chapter 40. So at least by that time, they seem to be one unified uh, book. Here's what I believe is happening, is that even though this is still a century and a half out in the future, that God is giving one of his prophets, is that a crazy idea, that God would give a prophet insight into something that's going to happen in the future? I think he's giving him insight into, into something that is going to come. But either way, what really matters is put yourself in the, in the mindset of he's writing for a people that at some point will need to be reminded while they are in captivity that God has not forgotten about them. They're going to need to be reminded that God is still at work on their behalf, that God still loves them. And if you carry it off into Babylonia, in the Babylonia, in the captivity, you probably start to wonder, what is God doing in all of this, right? I mean, stop and think about this. What, what if somebody came and carried us off to a foreign land, like, you know, I don't know, California? <laughs> no, what if, they, what if they really carried us off to a foreign land like Iraq, like Babylonia, I mean, that, you would feel abandoned, right? You would wonder, where is God in this? How is this happening? Why is God allowing this to happen? And I suspect those are the questions that the people started to ask. And they just started to feel like, man, I just don't know where God is in all of this. And I can't help but to believe that's exactly where many of you are sitting today, is in that place of, I just don't know what God is doing in this. I'm feeling abandoned in some way. I'm feeling uh, disconnected from God. I'm feeling disjointed. My, my normal, you know, what I'm used to has been totally disrupted and everything is thrown upside down. Now consider this. They were in captivity for 70 years. 70 years. That's a long time. We have been dealing with our weirdness for six months. I mean, really, it puts it in perspective a little bit, right? Six months, and some of us are ready to pull our hair out. From looking around the room, some already did. You know, it's, but it's 70 years. That's a long time. The people that were taken into captivity probably could have at least, if whether they wanted to admit it or not, the, the reason they were taken into captivity is because of their rebellion toward God. This, this was punishment for their um, walking away from God. So they could have at least in some respect blamed themselves for that. There could have been an answer for that, right? I've kind of brought this on myself. What about their children that were born in captivity? What about their grandchildren? What about maybe in some cases great-grandchildren? you got 70 years. That's enough time for a few generations to be born. Generations that had no you know, they weren't responsible for what was done before them. So what do you do if you're born into a foreign land and that's all you've ever known and you don't know why? 
How do you not begin to ask the question, where is God in all of this? And how could God be for us if this is what we are experiencing? The answer to me is in a, uh, comes in a couple of uh, things that we see in this passage that I want to encourage you with today. And I'm just going to share with you two main thoughts today. Um, if you find yourself feeling like you are in a foreign land now, or if at some point in the future you do, here are some things to remember. Uh, first one is this, to remember who God is. Remember who God is. Do you notice how many times, how many different names of God we get in these first few verses here? And he begins to identify himself in a variety of different ways. For example, verse 14, this is what the Lord says, your Redeemer. So that's the first one. Let's camp out there for a minute. God identifies himself as your Redeemer. When you are in a time of captivity or in a time of difficulty or pain, you need to remember that God is your Redeemer. And I emphasize the word your Redeemer. Not just the Redeemer, not just a Redeemer, but he says, I am your Redeemer. This is intensely personal here. This is not just, okay, I know that God sometimes delivers people and that's what he does. He's saying, I'm doing, I want to do this for you. I am your Redeemer. Now, a Redeemer in the Old Testament uh, could, could take on several different roles. It could be uh, redeeming a widow, a kinsman's widow, as you see, for example, in the book of Ruth. It could be redeeming a, a field or a piece of property. It could mean even being an avenger of blood. That was one of the things that a redeemer did. But the thing that we think of most often when we think of the word redeemer is we think of someone who purchases or redeems someone out of captivity. A redeemer is, is one that, that, that says, I'm going to take you from bondage and I'm going to liberate you out of that bondage. And he's pointing to the time, this future time, when God said that I will redeem you from this captivity in Babylon. And it's a beautiful picture of God's love for his people. But in case we miss it, back in verse 3, and we didn't read this earlier, but the beginning part of chapter 43, in verse 3, it says, For I am the Lord and notice the word again, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead. What he's saying here is, I'm going to give up these other people in order to bring you back. What he's, what he's saying is this, I'm giving you preferential treatment because you are my children. There is a covenant relationship. Now, in a sense, I understand God created everybody, God loves everybody, but there is something unique about God's relationship with His people that He says, I'm going to give you this special treatment. Just as, frankly, when you have children, your own children you treat differently than you do everybody else's children. That's just kind of how it is. When they're your children, they, they, they're, they're elevated in your eyes. And God says, that's how I view you. And because I am your redeemer, I'm going to give these others as a ransom for you. But then we get a, a record in 2 Chronicles 36, verse 23, of God actually doing this. It says, thus says Cyrus, king of Persia. Now, keep in mind, that was the one that Persia, they conquered the Babylonians. So this is what he said. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever there is among you of all his people, may the Lord his God be with him and let him go up. 
So what he's saying is you're free to go. You're free to go back to your homeland. Uh, Cyrus comes in and he is God's instrument to set his people free. Cyrus becomes God's instrument to redeem his people and to allow them to return to where they needed to go. Now that's wonderful and that's all exciting and that's good and that's enough to, you know, clap our hands and get excited and fired up about. But here's the thing, and I think we realize this. This is a picture of something much more significant than God rescuing his people from Babylon. When he says that I'm your redeemer, he's really pointing forward to the ultimate redemption that we would experience through Christ. That Jesus came to set us free, to liberate us from our bondage to sin. Romans chapter 6 tells us that all of us are slaves to sin apart from Christ. Now some might hear me say, say well, wait, wait a minute, Pastor. I, you know, I, I know I mess up, but I, I'm not a slave to sin. I mean, isn't that a little strong? Isn't that a little overstated? And, and I would ask you this simple question. See how long you can go without sinning in any form or fashion. See if you can go a day without, you know, not just the big, I mean, we think about the big stuff, right? You know, I'm losing my temper screaming at somebody or, you know, being violent or I'm abusing drugs or having an affair or, you know, stealing something. You know, we think of the big stuff a lot of times where the Bible speaks very clearly about internal things. In fact, can you go an entire day without saying one critical thing about another person throughout an entire day? I challenge you to try that. But the next step beyond that is this. Can you go an entire day without even thinking something critical about somebody else? Because the Bible tells us that that's, God sees that as well. He knows our hearts and, and, and you know, that, that we're not to let any unwholesome talk come out of our mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. That's a difficult thing. What about in James when it says anyone who knows the good that he should do and doesn't do it sins? Can you go an entire day without Uh, failing to do something good that you know you probably should have? I mean, come on. We're we're slaves to sin. That's the bottom line. We really are. But thanks be to God that he has come to set us free from that. We have a redeemer that says you don't have to stay in slavery anymore. You don't have to stay in bondage anymore. To think that we can liberate ourselves from our bondage to sin is as absurd as thinking that prisoners of war could liberate themselves from Nazi concentration camps. It was not happening. They were completely oppressed in every way, abused, mistreated. They did not have the ability. They did not have the power at that time from within themselves to liberate themselves. If they did, they would have done it, but they couldn't. They were powerless to do that for themselves. What they had to have happen was some other power that was greater than the power that was holding them captive. Some greater power had to get involved and say, okay, we're going to take care of this situation for you. And because of what we are doing, now we are setting you free. How absurd would it be for a prisoner of war that had been held captive for all these years to be finally set free and to look their liberators in the eye and say, no, I'm good. I'm okay. I think I'll stay here. I think I'll stay in bondage. I think I'll just continue to be abused. I think I'll just continue to let my my life go the direction that it's going. Nobody would say that. Nobody would say that. And yet, sometimes that's exactly how we respond to our Redeemer, capital R, Jesus who came to, to die in our place 
to pay the penalty for our sins, which is remarkable if you stop and think about all that Christ went through for us. And we say, no, I'm good. I think I'll stay where I am. The Redeemer that he speaks of is not just the one who would set his people free from Babylonian captivity. It was pointing forward to the ultimate Redeemer who would come in Christ. Well, the next thing that it says there, the next little term that it uses, it says the Redeemer, and then it says the Holy One of Israel. The Holy One is used twice in this passage, and I love this because it's a reminder of God's character. That God is holy, God is without sin, God is without any type of impurity whatsoever in Him. And we need to be reminded of that, especially during times of captivity, because we start to question, is God really good? Is God really who He says He is? How can a good God allow me to go through so much pain? We need to be reminded that God is the Holy One, but we also need to be reminded that He is the Lord, which is another one of the words that it uses here. That's actually the word Yahweh. That was such a holy uh, name of God that Jewish people, they wouldn't speak it, they wouldn't even write it. They held it in such high regard. But, but a good translation is Lord, Master, one who is, who is exalted far above anyone else. And especially when we're going through struggles, we need to be reminded that, that God is the Lord. I, it isn't about me. It, you know, he is in control. And, and then it describes God as Israel's creator. I love that too because not only is God the individual creator of us, he put us together, he knit us together in our mother's womb, but God says, I have created you as my people. I am Israel's creator. You know, the, the, the fact that you exist as a people group is because I have chosen you, because I have blessed you, and it was his idea, and if it was God's idea in the beginning, do you really think he's just going to say, never mind? And then the one last term that it uses to describe God is the term king. He's also, he says, king. The king is one that's, that's in charge. The king is sovereign. The king makes decisions. The king doesn't take orders from anybody. God says, I am your king. Look, I, I, I'm sovereign. I'm in control. Guys, I got to tell you, all this that, that, that we find ourselves going through, God is absolutely in control of everything. He's still the king. He's still the sovereign. He's, he's still on his throne. And so we're reminded of that in this passage. We need to remember who God is. But here's the second thing that, that I want to encourage you with today, and that is that we need to trust God to make a way. Based on who he is, based on his character, and remembering who he is, let's also remember what he can do. And, and we're reminded of some of those things in verse 16 when he talks about making a path through the sea and through the mighty waters. This is a reference to the parting of the Red Sea when he talks about the chariots, you know, down and never to rise again and those kinds of things. Have you ever noticed as you read through Scripture, both Old Testament and New Testament, have you ever noticed how many references there are to God's deliverance, the parting of the Red Sea, and then extinguishing uh, the armies of Egypt. It is referenced over and over and over again. And I haven't gone back and I didn't think about it, quite honestly, until I was in the middle of preaching the earlier service today. Uh, I need to go back and look this up, but I'm just going to go out and, and take a guess and say, I suspect that this is the miracle um, from the Old Testament that is referenced more than any other. It just seems that it keeps coming up. And I believe there's a reason we see it so frequently. Now, somebody research that and find out. Tell me if I'm wrong on that, and that's fine. But I do know that it's referenced a lot. And I believe the reason for that is because it's something that we can relate to so well. 
I mean, here the people are, are, are being led out of bondage. And we talked about this last Sunday. You know, God didn't lead them on the straight path. He led them around because he was doing something and working through that time. But they, they finally get to the place where the Egyptians are coming after them. And Red Sea's behind them. Massive body of water behind them. Massive army in front of them. What are they going to do? And I'll tell you what they did. They panicked. And they just said, we're ready to give up. We wish we could go back to Egypt. But God is preparing them to do a miracle. Parts the, the waters. But, but how many times do we find ourselves in a, in a place, and I suspect some of you right now find yourself in a place where you feel like you've got an unpartable body of water behind you, you've got another army coming in front of you, and, and, and it's just like you're just going to get squeezed to death. And it seems like there's no way out. And when we feel like there's no way out and no escape, man, is that a good time to go back and read about what God did in parting the waters. It's a reminder that nothing is impossible for God, that he can do anything. And so uh, he reminds them of that. But then this is so fascinating to me because it says, you know, it tells what God did. And then you get to verse 18 and it says, forget the former things. Like, Wait a minute. You just reminded us of the former things. Why would you say forget the former things? I think what he's saying is this. Look. Take encouragement from what God has done in the past. It is good to remember those things. But forget it in the sense, don't get stuck there. Don't just, you know, that's all you've got because here's, here's why. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past because, why? Verse 19, I'm doing a new thing. Look, the same God that did what he did back then is the same God that wants to do something in our lives today. But, but here's the thing is God says, I'm going to do a new thing. It's probably not going to look exactly like it looked back then. Because God is a creative God, and God has plenty of ability to do what he needs to do. And so, um, man, it's encouraging to be reminded of that. That God is able, he's capable of doing all this, but he also says, I'm going to do a new thing. And one of the things that he says he's going to do, he says, do you not perceive it? Which is really good, too. How many times do we just miss it? God's up to something, but we're so distracted or we're so distraught that we miss what God is doing. Do you not Perceive it. What's he doing? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. I'm going to lead you through that wilderness time. We talked about that last week. He says, I'm even going to provide streams in the wasteland. Now, a wasteland is a wasteland because it doesn't have water. He said, I'm going to bring water into the, the, the driest places that you could imagine. And, and I can do that. And God is saying, I can do that. He can do that in your life. He can do that in my life. Now notice, too, that what he does not say is, I'm going to bring you out of the wasteland and bring you to the streams. Now he can do that, and sometimes he does do that. But sometimes he chooses to say, I'm going to leave you there in the wasteland, but I'm going to create streams to come to you. I'm going to bring life to you right where you are. Because I'm God. I can do that. And he does do that. And it's so encouraging to us when he does. It says that, that, that he wants to do a new thing in our lives. And we should be, um, man, just ready to go. Just, okay, God, what is it? What is next? What, what is it that you're going to do? What's that new thing that, that I'm going to see you do? You know, I was talking this week uh, with one of my friends here at the church who'd been going through uh, some challenges the last several months. And as a lot of people are, I think, just sorting through, um, you know, anything, by the way, just a little, little side note here, a little word of wisdom. If there's any challenge that you've had over the last several months, 
it's going to get multiplied many times over because of all that we're going through. And so give yourself a little slack there and realize that that is making things a whole lot worse. But uh, just going through, you know, sorting through some homesickness. Is, are we in the right place? Fairly new to this area. Do we need to move back, you know, to be back around family? And just kind of struggling, just kind of some internal struggles. And just within the last few weeks, came back and said, you know what, God has, has shown me this is where I need to be. And one of the things that's been so cool to me is to see the impact they've been able to have, even during a time where there wasn't a lot happening. I've been able to, to develop some relationships with some neighbors, some neighbor, you know, coming to church with them. They've even started a Bible study there in their community. And God's doing some really cool things. And, and I, I see that example and that picture, and I'm thinking, that's exactly what God wants to do with every one of us. Yes, there may be some challenges. Yes, there may be some struggles. But God is saying, look, I want to do a new thing. I, I do want to bring streams into the wasteland. I do want to do something special in your life. The question is, are, are you ready for God to do that? Are you going to perceive it? Because here's the thing. If we've got our heads stuck in the sand out of fear or we're you know, crying our eyes out and we can't see straight, then we're not going to be able to see what God's doing, right? We need to be able to perceive it. We need to, to, to be able to clearly Watch and be ready for and say, okay, God, I believe that, that you want to do something special in my life. I believe that you want to do something right now in the current situation that we are in. And, and, and God, I believe, is going to do that. So do you have the faith to believe that? Do you have the faith to believe that God is doing a new thing in you right now? That God is preparing the way for something really unique right now? Let me remind you that the greatest thing that has ever happened in the course of human history was also the most tragic thing that has ever happened in the course of human history. And that was an innocent man being put to death, being mocked, being beaten, being crucified, and even worse than that. All of that's bad, but you know, he's not the only one to go through that. The only one to go through it that didn't deserve it. But nevertheless, the worst part of all of that was taking on the full wrath of God because the Bible tells us that, that Jesus became sin for us. So that means all of the wrath of God that sin deserves was poured out on Jesus. He took that on for us. That, that is a horribly tragic event. But out of that tragedy came life. Jesus, on the third day, rose from the dead He's back to life. He's giving life to, to his followers. He's showing them that through faith in him that death can be turned into life and that you can find purpose and you can, you can prepare yourself for eternity. And there's just all oh, this. The greatest stuff that could ever happen came out of the most tragic event. That's the greatest example, but it's not the only one in Scripture. And it's not the only time that that's going to happen because it's going to happen in your life too where we go through trials, we go through challenges, we go through difficulties, but through all of that, God says, yeah, but watch what I'm going to bring out of it. So let's look. Let's be ready. Let's watch and let's see what God does and how God works through the situation that we find ourselves in. Let's pray together. Lord, today, um, I do pray that you would really do a mighty work in us. I pray that, that we're 
open to that, that we're receptive to it, that we're ready, Lord, for, for you to do so. Or for those that are struggling right now, for those that, that feel like they are in that wasteland, would you just provide, provide streams in the wasteland like only you can? Uh, Lord, provide encouragement, provide uh, maybe people to come alongside or just answers to prayer that are needed, whatever it may be. God, we just ask that you would step in. In Jesus' name, amen.